early on Easter day, Mary Magdalene has discovered that Jesus' body is missing from the tomb. When he speaks to her, she recognizes him as Jesus. She has told the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Now Jesus will appear in his resurrection body. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So, welcome to the Lector's Nightmare. We want to say congratulations to Lynn for getting through the first reading. It is probably one of the toughest readings in the entire church year. So being able to rattle off me, Cappadocians and all of that is an achievement. Very well done. It is also customary for us to say happy birthday. We often say that Pentecost is the birthday of the church that it is the day that the Spirit empowered the church on its missionary journey to proclaim the good news of Christ's resurrection. And so, you know, we've seen all kinds of things like birthday cakes at Pentecost and so forth, and I see many of us are dressed in red to celebrate the Holy Spirit, so congratulations, most of us. So um, I'll tell you, uh, I'm not at my best today because uh, this is like the second weekend that uh, weekend events have kind of distracted me. So uh, last weekend was my niece's wedding. This weekend uh, we spent at Pride. So um, I'm going to leave it up to you. Um, two directions we can go with today's sermon. Um, one could be with resurrection. The other could be with forgiveness. Um, how many for resurrection? And how many for forgiveness? Okay, <laughs> okay well, <laughs> there we go. Uh, we're going to talk about forgiveness today. So, um, And it is notable that the foundation of the church, the establishment of the church, is based on forgiveness. Now, we find in the first, in the gospel reading, that the 11, because, of course, the Iscariot is not among them, um, he had despaired of his salvation, and so they are locked 
almost as if in a tomb. And it says, for fear of the Jews. Um, again, whenever we hear that kind of language, I always hasten to add, after 2,000 years of Christian pogroms, holocaust, and anti-Semitism, it is important to note that rather they were fearful for the same crowd who had executed Christ on the cross, and they were fearful for the same crowd who had pointed out Peter, saying, you're one of them, aren't you? Um, not the Jewish race who are our forerunners in the faith and in the covenant. But instead, Jesus appears among the same ones who fell asleep while he was at his wit's end, praying to the Father, let this cup pass me by. I mean, he was so terrified about being crucified, he sweat blood. And when he went to these chosen ones, he had said, come with me while I pray, comfort me at my last. They were asleep. They couldn't even stay awake for an hour. They were the ones who, as I had said, when they were pointed out, Peter, aren't you one of them? Peter denied Christ three times. They were the ones who had scattered and had abandoned him when he was on the cross. It was only the beloved disciple who stood there with his mother to watch his savior perish upon the cross. And yet, Jesus appears among them and his first words are not, where were you? His first words were not accusatory, but peace be with you. It's okay. I am here. I have gone through death and I've gone into eternal life and I am able to rise above any petty grudges I would have against any of you. You are my brothers again. Don't worry about it. It's too important now to proclaim the good news of resurrection than payback time. That was the foundation of the church, an experience of being forgiven. And it was such a foundational experience, Jesus breathed upon them to give his spirit did you notice in the first uh, hymn that we still retain some of that Holy Ghost language? We used to call the Spirit the Holy Ghost. It came from a German word, Geist. You know, our Hegelian scholars would recognize the Spirit among us. And so it kind of went into English to the Holy Ghost. But then it sounded like, you know, like the spooky thing or like after Jesus died that his ghost is haunting us. And we realized instead, Jesus, when he was risen from the dead, was enough of a body for us to feel the nail marks in his hand and probe the sword in his side. He is not a ghost, but rather he gives us his breath. God gave Adam his breath in, act, in uh, Genesis 1 
to animate Adam, Ezekiel preached and gave breath to the dead and dry bones, and they came back. Jesus gives his breath to us so that we may say the words of forgiveness to one another. So, what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. I've spoken before, forgiveness is really an economic term. When we talk about forgiveness, the first experience of forgiveness is forgiveness of debts. That when one person wrongs another, that there is an imbalance, that they create an obligation, that the person who has been wronged has the right to punish the person who wronged them. They establish effectively a debt. And so forgiveness is rather to say, I have the right to call it a debt. I have the right to get you back for what I did. But it's more important to let go of that debt. It's more important to move past that obligation. And instead, let's make that the foundation of our relationship. Let us rather heal each other from obligation and grudges. And like Christ appearing to his disciples to say, let's establish peace among us. So it is the choice not to call in the debt, to call in the obligation, to get back or to even scores. And that was what Jesus established when he linked resurrection and the establishment of the church to the experience of being forgiven with ominous words. After all, Jesus said, if you forgive sin, they will be forgiven. If you hold them bound, they will be held bound. How often we are held bound by our inability to let go of grudge, of the past, of the woundedness in our relationships. And yet, it is foundational for us as followers of Christ to be able to feel forgiven so that we are able to forgive others. We need to be freed from our enclosed dungeon like the disciples were in. They were in a locked room because they didn't know how to move on. And Jesus came to them and said, you're forgiven, go out and forgive others. Sometimes we just get stuck. We know that we are holding on to or we are being held on to woundedness in the past, pain or brokenness in relationships. And it's difficult to know how to move through it. And yet we know that we're just going to be spinning our wheels until we can move past that. There's a wonderful, I would even call it a parable, even though that's sort of a loaded word, in Ann Tyler's St. Maybe of the experience of being forgiven. 
and it tells a story about Ian Bledsoe. He is a boy whose brother, married brother with two children, was going to drive him, Ian, to his girlfriend's house, where Ian was probably going to have his first experience with a woman. So one imagines Ian is very anxious to get to that house. And yet, his brother is late, and because of the children, is unable to drive him, Ian, to his girlfriend's house. Ian is so angry that he tells his brother that his wife was cheating on him. The brother, so devastated by that news, peeled off in his car into a wall. And so Ian had on his conscience that it was he who drove his brother to that act. His brother's wife, his widow, then was compelled to raise the children on her own, and so overwhelmed by that, took an overdose of medication. And so the raising of the children fell upon Ian's already overworked and exhausted parents. Ian, who was home from school, is bearing this on his conscience, very heavy. And one of the ways we find ourselves in life is we need to move past situations in our life, but it's simply not clear how to fix them. There's no way that Ian could apologize to his brother or to his sister-in-law. They were gone. And so Ian was caught in that spinning his wheels as well. And one day he's walking through the street. Interestingly, it is set in Baltimore. And he hears some music. And he just decides to pop in and listen to the hymns that this church is singing. It's a storefront church. And it's a small congregation. And the pastor invites them to pray out loud for what's on their hearts. And they pray about their sicknesses, their families, what their need is. And one woman says, I want you to pray for my son. As you know, he's in the army. And they were having a parachuting exercise. And because of the excitement, or perhaps because of the details, he jumped out of the plane, and he didn't have a parachute. And I lost my son. And Ian snickered. <clears throat> he kind of laughed out loud. Nobody said anything, but he immediately felt humiliated, laughing at a mother's pain. And so when the eyes looked at him, he finally said, I don't know, I used to be good, but I've prayed to God that I can be good again. And I'm hoping one day God will forgive me. And he apologized to the mom that he laughed at. But eventually, after the service, the pastor walked up to him and said, 
your prayer, was there any response? Response? Did you get a reply? No, not exactly. And he said then, what is it you needed forgiven? Ian couldn't believe his ears. Was this even legal? Inquiring into someone's private prayers? He ought to spin on his heel and walk out. But in a voice not quite his own, he said, I caused my brother to um, kill himself. I told him his wife was cheating on him, and now I'm not even sure she was. I mean, I'm pretty sure she did in the past. I wasn't totally wrong, but... So he drove into a wall. And then his wife died of sleeping pills, so I guess you could say I caused that too, more or less. And he paused, waiting for Reverend Emmett to say, no, no, it's okay. So it looks like my parents are going to have to raise the children. Everything's been dumped on my mom, and I don't know if she's up to it, her or my dad, either one. My sister's busy with her own kids, and I'm away at college most of the time. So anyhow, that's what I asked for that prayer. I honestly think it may have worked. It's not like I got an answer in plain English, but don't you think? Don't you think I'm forgiven? Goodness, no, said Reverend Emmett. Ian's mouth fell open. He wondered if he misunderstood. You mean I'm not forgiven? Oh, no. But I thought that was kind of the point. I thought God forgives everything. He does, Reverend Emmett said, but you can't just say, I'm sorry, God. Why, anyone could do that much. You have to offer reparation, concrete, practical reparation, according to the rules of our church. Well, what if there is no reparation? What if it's nothing that will fix? Well, that's where Jesus comes in, of course. Ian was fascinated. So, what should I do? And Reverend Emmett said, well, first, I guess you need to look after the children. How? I'm in Pennsylvania most of the time. I'm at college. Maybe you should drop out. Drop out? Yeah, drop out of college. And Ian stared at him. This is some kind of test, isn't it? Reverend Emmett smiled, nodding. It's God's test. God wants to know how far you'll go to undo the harm you've done. The foundation of our relationship with the divine is the experience of being forgiven, of being liberated from that debt that we owe to one another and to the source of our life. And we, as a response, cultivate a completely new life, one that is free, one that is without regret, and one that is abundant. Ian actually confesses to his parents about what had happened. 
And his mom's first response was, have you fallen into some kind of cult? No. I just found a church that makes sense to me. Ian dropped out of college and became a cabinet maker because it gave him the time and the flexible schedule to raise his brother's two children. He became active in that church and eventually he found a new and an abundant life that was there for him the whole time, but he didn't know how to move forward until he was freed and liberated. Imagine the feeling of freedom that the disciples had when they saw the Lord they had abandoned and denied come before them and say, as you forgive others, they will be forgiven. Your debt is paid. Go forth and free others. The excitement, the thrill, the mission of forgiveness. And that is what is the foundation of our church. The experience of being freed from the debt we owe to others, the debt we owe to the divine, and the experience of being able to reestablish new and abundant relationships with each other based on truth, based on freedom, and based on the sacrifice of the cross. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.